This is the Love Swimming Podcast, powered by Love Admin's easy-to-use software that reduces your organization's admin and increases its income. Find out more at www.loveadmin.com. Okay, so um, hello everyone, welcome to the Love Swimming Podcast. It's me, Clive Marcus, again, and this week I've got the uh, Coach at Aqua Academy and team leader of Malta Para Swimming, and that's Edward Carwana Dingley. Um, so, hey, mate, how's it going? Hi, hi, thanks for having me. Um, today, we really want to talk about um, Malta Swimming, Malta Para Swimming, because it's all change out there, and it's all new stuff, and it's all great stuff that we want to talk about. So, to start off, as I say, always start off with the basics. Tell us about you, tell us about your swimming journey, um, tell us about how you got into Para Swimming, and also as well tell us about Malta swimming in general because it's uh it's all very different out there too compared to a lot of the listeners here in the UK all right uh uh-huh. so like you said I'm I'm Edward Carwana Dingley I'm from the small country of Malta um I'm currently a coach at Aqua Academy Exiles we tend to go more with by Exiles now but it's the same club um and I'm also the team lead on the Malta Paris swimming scene um I was uh, a national team swimmer for a couple of years. I was on the national team for maybe six, seven years, had a couple of national records, individual and and relay national records, and was lucky to be able to represent Malta at uh, a few high-level meets. I mean, there were three editions of the World Championships, um, two universiads, so I've been lucky to be able to get the full elite experience even from a small country like like ours yeah um, i'm also i also have a, a doctor of laws so that is my day job um and then i coach swimming before and after that so mornings and evenings um i got into coaching well i started teaching swimming like i think most most coaches do when i was about 15 um, as a summer job in my final years at school, um, I was involved with, uh, with the club I used to swim with back then. Um, used to help out with the teaching, slowly, slowly started being given my own classes, got involved in a little bit of coaching. But when I was in my final year at university, so 2016, um, I was approached to start coaching the club that I swam for at the time. Um, their head coach was stepping out and they needed somebody to help them coordinate one of their squads. And that's how I got into the main coaching scene. Um, it had always been a goal to get into coaching. The, it was always a question how, when, whether it would work out with, with work and life and everything. Luckily, um, I started my day job a few months after that and they were accommodating. So now I'm able to balance um, both sides of my life. My journey into para swimming started uh, just a few months after that, actually, and it was quite a, a chance encounter. One, there was a swimmer. So para swimming in Malta was, I don't want to say non-existent, but very small. We've had a couple of swimmers here and there over the over the years. Um, we had one para swimmer go to the Paralympics in 2012 and one in 2016. Um, so that this was after the 2016 edition, uh, a 15 year old boy joined our club, just wanting to get back into swimming, he had been out for a few months. And I really didn't think anything about it. This kid with um, his disability is just a shorter arm, so not a major disability. 
um, but he wanted to join the squad and he did. And we actually got into the whole Paris swimming scene properly because we were at an able-bodied competition and not aware about the Paris swimming rules or anything, um, very naive to the whole scene. And he got disqualified in his first event because, which was a breaststroke event because he didn't touch the wall with two hands. And, and see, like, how, how can he stop, stop the clock with two hands if he's only got one hand? And they told us, okay, you need to get him classified. So then ended up going into how to get him classified, um, going to our first parameet. Um, and then slowly, slowly it became kind of, we ended up in the scene and other swimmers started noticing us, other swimmers with disabilities started noticing us, um, asking to join and slowly, slowly we've been building up the Paris swimming scene. Um, like you mentioned, swimming is quite small in Malta. Um, the main aquatic sport here, as opposed to the UK, to USA and the bigger countries is water polo. Um, that's where the focus is. All our swimming clubs are actually water polo clubs with a little bit of swimming on the side. So it's a very small sport. And I'd say results wise, we're still quite behind compared to bigger countries. Um, but in the years that I've been involved in swimming, there's been a very big progression. In fact, this year we had our first um, locally born and raised swimmer obtain a, a qualifying at B time for the Olympics. Um, so we're getting there. We're not taking up massive squads to the Olympics or the Paralympics. It's usually uh, a male and a female swimmer, but we're getting there, hoping that in a couple of years we can push a European semi-final. Yeah, that's, that's able-bodied swimming. Um, so even the scene of the, the amount of swimmers in in water is quite small. I think it's in the hundreds. It's definitely not close to one thousand swimmers. Um, so the pool is quite a small pool. We've got one main training pool, a couple of smaller twenty-five meter pools. Um, so quite a small sport here. Um, which then leads me to the Paris swimming scene, which, like I said, is tiny. Um, in previous years, we had a small Paris swimming squad with maybe four, five swimmers, um, which then fizzled out. And now we've slowly started building it up all over again. Um, I think right now we have about 12 Paris swimmers, which isn't a big number. But when you consider the population of Malta, which is less than half a million, um, the amount of those like, people with a disability and then those who actually want to swim, I think we're growing very nicely. Yeah, no, definitely. I think one thing that's important to remember is even with Malta, you've got a really great... Um, so you've, as you said, you've got small numbers, but at the top end, you're still pretty... You've got some really good results coming in. You're not slow in that sense. Uh -huh. we're, we're getting there. There's still a big jump left to make it up to the top top international level, but we're becoming a little bit more competitive in, in Europe. Like I said, this, the, we've had one, one swimmer swim an Olympic B qualifying time. She was also a finalist at the Junior European Championships this summer. Um, so we're getting there. And I think usually when you have, from past experience, when you have that one swimmer that pushes everyone a little bit further, everyone ends up following and the results do get better after that. It might yeah. not be in the next two years, but long term, um, it's, I think it does benefit the sport. It's not just one shock swimmer who comes and leaves a disaster behind them. So uh -huh, we're, we're getting there. 
<laughs> I think, yeah, well, but one thing we're going to talk about, because I think you're very right there and how people will bring people along and it all kind of tracks it all up. Uh, but we were saying here, your, the Malta um, Paralympic Committee is, is very new. It's only been around for three years, you were saying to me. Yep. Um, yep. Um, so, yeah, tell us how you, in, with that, you've been having to try and grow swimming and para sports within the country and how that has led to you being able to take an athlete to um paris or not sorry um tokyo Um, yeah i'm jumping ahead (laughs) (laughs) hopefully it would be in in paris as well um no so like i said i got i said how i got into paris swimming um from that we ended up with a couple of athletes here and there so we had one swimmer one runner and then it became two or three swimmers a lot of just individuals in the sport um, just trying to do something. And it became clear that that system wasn't going to get us anywhere. So we had actually a couple of um, para-athletes come together. There was uh, mainly Julian and Vlada, who are both para-swimmers. Um, Vlada is the swimmer I mentioned who went to Rio and was with me in Tokyo now. Um, who got together and said, listen, we need to set up a proper committee to be able to build up the proper basics, the proper fundamentals for a planned development of para-sport. So they got a group of people together about three, four years ago um, and set up the the Malta Paralympic Committee. There were smaller versions of the committee before, but no one who ever took it very seriously. So for the first time, we had a group of individuals who are giving their 100% to get this committee going. Um, And Once they set it up, there were two goals, Tokyo and just building up the grassroots. Um, So we had, like I mentioned, a couple of athletes here and there who were at what you could call an elite level, um, who were pushing to make it to Tokyo. Um, We had, by till last year, we had two runners um, and two or three swimmers. So the numbers were growing and so Tokyo was on our mind and we were definitely aiming there, but we also understood that if we want proper long-term development, we need to start building in the, from the bottom. Yeah. Um, so yeah. they went out, they started meeting anybody who could be of any involvement possible in the Paralympic Committee. So they were speaking to, um, first of all, to athletes, to people, any parents with, with children with disabilities, because as I'm sure everyone would appreciate the best step to the best way to build up a sport is to start with the, with the children. Once you've got a nursery, then you can slowly start moving up. And so they were out speaking to, to parents with children with disabilities, speaking to people with disabilities, getting out on social media, the news, just raising awareness that, that listen, there is something happening. If you want to get into sports, we have the resources, speak to us and we will put you in touch with the right people. And that's what the last couple of years have been. Um, people getting in touch with the Paralympic Committee tell them, listen, I'd like to start a sport or my daughter would like to start a sport. What can I do? They tell them, listen, we have these options. You can go into swimming, athletics, judo. Um, let's put you in touch with a coach. Mm. And that's how we slowly started building up people. Um, we kind of slowly, slowly at least started coming in. I think right now we've got... like couldn't give an exact number. I can definitely say in swimming, like I said, we've built up tw- about 12 swimmers and that's ranging from beginner level. So a five-year-old who's just learning how to swim up to um, Vlada, who is 
um, 30 and came back from her second Paralympic Games now. Um, and the main goal with that is, as much as possible, trying to integrate um, the athletes into able-bodied programs. With the limited numbers, like we've already discussed, it's difficult to have a, a squad with athletes with disabilities trained together. And as anybody who's in, in disability sport knows, it's even more difficult to group up the athletes with similar disabilities who are at the same level. So it's, it's a challenge anyway. So we find, we've, we're finding that the best way to get it going is to, as much as possible, integrate athletes into our squads. Um, so far it's good. And I think if we continue with this plan, it will work out even better because if you put a five-year-old with a disability in with the other five-year-olds, he will likely develop at the same rate as any other five-year-old. Yeah, no. so integrated with the squad, it gives him a, a plan for the rest of his involvement in sport. Um, not just here, we're doing this for one year and then who, who knows what's, what's next. Um, so it's been going well. We have everyone integrated. Um, Exiles, the club that, like we mentioned, I've been coaching at, have been great, very accommodating. They're very open to, to getting involved in the Paris scene. And in fact, we're the front runners on. Um, on disability swimming. Um, there's a few other clubs who have maybe one or two swimmers with them, but the majority are training with us, mostly because they see that <laughs> the other swimmers are already there and they come to us as kind of the experts, but by no means do we claim a monopoly over the scene. <laughs> uh, as, mu as much as possible, I'd like to actually get all the Maltese clubs involved. We've got around seven, eight clubs, swimming clubs in Malta. Um, and I think it would benefit everyone if every club had at least with a disability. It would benefit the clubs and even more so the swimmers because when it comes down to competing, you're just going to end up competing against your teammates. So if there's a bit of a mixture of clubs and at least you're competing against someone who you see once a month, not every day. Um, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you know what I mean. And it's even more so here where it's a very small pool of athletes. Um, we, all come, we all train at the same pool, or most of us train at the same pool. Um, so uh, we've been growing the sports. Like I mentioned, there's a couple of other sports. Athletics have, I think they're still at two athletes, but there is some interest in the, in the lower levels. We've seen wheelchair basketball grow a lot. Um, we've seen, I think there's judo, um, a couple of sports, and now, one of the good things about having a team in Tokyo was that we got some ideas, some more motivation and inspiration to see where we can focus. Say, okay, we have nobody playing table tennis. That might be a good option, something that we can integrate. And you also start yeah. to notice which sports are easier to integrate with able-bodied athletes because, like I said, I think that is, that's the way forward for now. Yeah, so I can see that. <laughs> accessibility and bits like that yes yeah yes um and i i find that there's also an element of i don't think fear is necessarily the right word but maybe ap apprehension that coaches are apprehensive to take on a disability swimmer because they're not sure what to how to handle the disability but what i always say and i say it <laughs> genuinely it's not an exaggeration that when you're a coach you are making adaptations to to what you do every day for any swimmer be it able-bodied or, or with a disability 
So when it comes to a disability swimmer, you're just making another adaptation just to fit them. So it's not a, a much bigger challenge than it is having a normal squad. You just need to adapt. Um, there is no fixed learning pathway for uh, becoming a, a para-swimming coach. You become a coach and then you maybe take a couple of courses where, which are a bit more specific. But there isn't anything that will teach you exactly what you need to do with every form of disability because that would be impossible. So you learn by experience like most of us coaches do anyway. No, I can see that being really just because um, I would say that it, it, it all, it's all the same with how they're moving in the water and bits of that, but it's just exactly. there'll be slight tweaks in which you'll need to exactly. change and bits so of that. I mean, Exactly, it's, it's exactly that. I mean, if you've got uh, a swimmer with who has one arm or a short arm, then you need to just even out the stroke, make sure that they're balanced, make sure that they're controlled, still get maximizing the pull on their other arm. If you have a swimmer with who's a wheelchair user, has no movement in their legs, then you're obviously not using flippers. You'd probably benefit from using a pool boy because it would lift their legs up in the water so they'd swim quicker. In fact, um, one of our athletes is a wheelchair user. And when I give the other swimmers um, a fin set, I'll give her a pool boy set because it makes her much quicker to have her legs elevated. So it's just understanding the needs of the swimmer and, and adapting the program slightly to, to fix them. I mean, you could also have, um, you also need to take into consideration that at a certain level, the disability athletes will be slightly slower than able-bodied athletes. So then you would either tweak the set if you're doing 10 100s, you could do 10 50s, or you could do six 100s instead. Just modifications that you would do with any other slightly slower athlete anyway. So it's just uh, a learning to adapt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, um, well, I, I think, as you said, making sure that you can implement your athletes into able bodied yes. programs and bits like that will increase accessibility, increase bits like that. And then, as you said, that will help grow that area of the sports to allow more people to come in because i think malta's surrounded by water anyway you want everyone to be able to learn to swim. <laughs> so it'd be great to make sure that everyone can exactly i think you just even just learning how to swim is something everyone should should do especially when you live in a country like ours where we're at the beach every weekend in summer um so you have to know how to swim and it's an important life skill it's going to benefit you um throughout your life and even if even just being involved in sports i know this has been discussed many times but we all know the benefits of being involved in sport even just at an amateur level but the long-term benefits in your in your life it's it's important i think it could benefit athletes with disabilities even more so than it would benefit able-bodied athletes no definitely even the social aspect of it all and the exactly. getting people together and exactly. meeting people and to an extent, it also benefits the, the able-bodied athletes because I see that our, our younger children, they don't care that their teammate is a wheelchair user. They don't care that their, that their teammate uses a walking frame to walk. They're just their teammates. And, and it puts aside the discrimination, the, the, the usual things that, that people with disability face, face in their life. And I think it will build a a stronger community in the long run where people see people with disabilities as um, just normal people going about their life.
I think that's one of, since I've been back from Tokyo, most people have been asking me, so how's it been? What's the experience? And I think the biggest takeaway living in a village with four or 5,000 athletes with a disability is that they're just normal people living their life. Um, like you and I would go about certain things differently. They just do things slightly differently. And once we understand that, then these barriers that life throws at us will just become less and less um, evident. Yeah, no, I can see Definitely. I've got another topic. We touched on it um, slightly in that last little chat there. Is, um, because I follow you on social media and bits like that. And um, you were saying Exiles is in some ways leading. You don't want to say got the monopoly on that. <laughs> it's leading its way in uh, bits like that. So yes. tell, us, tell us more about that because um, like, I've swam with you guys out there and it's, yeah. it's a real nice squad. It's got such a nice feel to it. You've got quite a young squad. Um, yes, we do. So, uh, um, so Exas is quite a new. The Exas swimming squad is quite a new squad. Tim Hartley came down from the UK. I don't want to say. I think seven years ago now, um, and was asked to take on the squad and kind of grow the team. And over the last seven years, um, he started kind of like like we've been saying, started from the little ones, started with a group of six-year-olds and has slowly been growing up the squad. Um, I joined him, I think, four years ago now. Um, and since then, we've seen numbers grow. So we've gone from a club that had maybe four competitive swimmers when I joined to over 25 competitive swimmers, which puts us at maybe in the middle when it comes to club sizes in Malta. Um, we've got three major clubs with, with huge numbers, and then it puts us just right behind them. So we're quite pleased with how much we've grown. And like you said, it's a young squad, average age of the competitive squad, if you pull me out of that group, because I'm still competing with them and I push the average up. But um, <laughs> I think average age would be about 15. Um, our main competitive squad is 12 to 18. Um, really good group of children, really, really sweet children. Um, most of them are happy to put in more work than we, we throw at them. Um, and we're pushing, we're, we're, thankfully we've started to push some, uh, push out some very good results. We've had one swimmer um, set a couple of national age group records. We have a couple of other swimmers who are right behind him. Um, so we're, we're doing well and we're growing and we're very happy with the work that we've done. Like I've been mentioning, one small problem that we face is space. Um, we have, all, like I, I've already said, but we've had, we have all the clubs in the country or most of the clubs in the country training in one, one complex. Um, that's a 50 meter pool and a 25 meter pool. So it's a fight for who gets what space. Um, and I think that's what limits our growth to an extent that we're not able to say, listen, we've got more space. Okay, we can take on more swimmers. Um, we're actually at a point where we're, our growth is stuck till we get a little bit more space. Um, but I, I can't complain. Like I said, we've grown a lot. Um, and one of the things that I've enjoyed is that they've given me the freedom to grow this, this para-swimming site. So I came to the club with this, actually with this one para-swimmer that I mentioned who, that got me into the sport. So when I changed club, he came with me. And after him, 
some other athletes who used to swim saw that we were swimming and they followed. Um, then we got interest from a couple of younger children and it's always been, okay, how can we fit them in? How can we accommodate them? Um, they're open. I mean, Tim is, Tim is great. Tim is open to all my ideas. He's happy to put in the work. He's happy to make as, as long as he sees the children are swimming and enjoying it, he will give his 110%. And I think that's something that we, we really push for at the club, that everyone is enjoying it. Whether you want to be competitive elite swimmer or whether you want to be a social swimmer, there is space for everyone. And we try to uh, just push everyone. I, I always say I don't coach to make top level swimmers. I coach to make swimmers the best version of that they want to be. Yeah. Um, if a swimmer comes to me and tells me, Ed, listen, I just want to come in twice a week, meet my friends, have a swim, just make sure I don't get fat. Fine, do it. Um, as long as you're enjoying it, that's fine with me. If someone comes in and tells me, hey, listen, I want to be, I want to go to, to LA in 2028. Okay, let's, let's push you. Let's get there. Yeah. And no, so we've been, we've been, uh, we've been luck, I've, I've been lucky and they've been very helpful with us. I, I think one thing that I've always admired about Malta is um, sort of like you're saying that someone can turn up to you and say, I want to be at LA um, at that Olympics. And it's actually really achievable to achieve that kind of goal in Malta like and just you've got there's high standards to achieve that anyway but you have oh there's some decent resources out there to have you okay you're saying you've got some uh, problems with like lane space and bits like that but it's it's quite achievable for a child to come in learn to swim and actually make it to an olympic level in that sense I, yes i would say so i mean let's let's maybe not say Olympic level, let's say World Championship, European, European yeah. Championships level. I think there's quite a good pool of athletes who have been able to make it to that competition. Um, unfortunately, the number of qualifiers for those meets aren't high yet. Usually we get in on, on wild cards or on invitations. So the goal would be to have athletes qualify, hopefully in a couple of years. Um, but no, we do have, I think we are quite lucky to an extent. Um, first of all, I mean, this week I mentioned that the pool is uh, the pool is shut because of a water polo competition. We're just out in the sea, um, down, down, but literally in the sea, doing our sessions in the sea. Um, and it even during, it's lovely, it's nice, it's high 20, so no, no issues. Oh, um, I think it's actually warmer than the pool is right now. Um, so even during lockdown in March, April, May, we all had our wetsuits on and the swimmers were in the sea every day doing the work that they needed to do. And more often than not, you'll find the island is reachable, anywhere in the island is reachable by car. So if one side of the island is has rough sea, then you just drive to the other side and, and get in there. So uh, we, we're blessed we have the weather is always in our favor. Yes. Rarely, rarely gets, I mean, doesn't get colder than and maybe five degrees in winter and that's that's except that's an exception um so we're we train outdoors all year um no issues with that um lets you do some land work whenever you want to do it and you can do it wherever you want to outside you don't need to have a gym for it um makes competitions easier we do get obviously cancellations because of thunderstorms but it's just a few a year um, so no, I think we do have the resources to do to do better. 
Will we see Malta ranking very high at the Olympics soon? I think there's still a, quite a way to go. Um, but we're getting there. I think we can push European level soon. Yeah. No, well, definitely. Um, Iceland. I always thought Iceland's a good example. Iceland is a great example. Yeah, because um, they, they do really well on that kind of stage. Yes. And yes. they're similar size, if not smaller. Um, I think our population is very similar to ours. Um, no, I think Iceland. Iceland is a good example. Cyprus is a good example. Um, in fact, we have uh, every two years we've got a competition called the Games of the Small States of Europe. Um, it's basically a mini Olympic Games for the eight smallest states in Europe, um, which is us, Iceland, Cyprus, Andorra, Monaco, San Marino, a couple of other countries. Um, Iceland tends to be the stronger nation. I mean, we've seen them make the World Cup now. Um, swimmers have made Olympic. I think they had an Olympic finalist in 100 breaststroke in, in Rio. Yeah, I think um, even at the Paralympics, they had a couple of medals. Um, Cyprus had a couple of medals. So it's not unrealistic to, to get there. What I, the, the summer San Marino won their first um, Olympic medals. And San Marino has a population of about 30 something thousand. So that's one tenth of ours. And people have been arguing, oh, so how come San Marino can win an Olympic medal and we can't? And my argument in our favor has been, listen, San Marino is lucky to be part of Italy. Yeah. Um, yeah. They have all the resources at hand. When they want to compete, they go to anywhere in Italy and they can compete in Italy. Um, whereas we need to get on a plane to compete with someone different. But we're also lucky to be in a very central location that Europe is a two hour flight away. Um, Asia is not that far. The US is not that far. Um, so we, most clubs will travel abroad a couple of times a year to compete. And that's what we need to, to push the level forward. We need athletes who, we need our athletes to compete against different faces. So travel as much as possible, compete as much as possible, um, get to train at professional facilities abroad. Um, we've seen some good success from athletes who um, get opportunities to, to study abroad and train there. And we've had quite a few in, at the UK, in the UK. Um, I think we had some athletes at um, Plymouth and, and Kelly. So, the, and they do end up making the top group of athletes here. Um, and that's what we need. We need our athletes to be exposed to, to more, more resources, more everything. Just access to be able to compete, to be able to train and give their focus. Um, we also have the issue here that school is holy. Um, there's no such thing as giving your 100% to sports. School needs to come before everything. It's changing. Parents are... Um, opening up to the idea of their children being a bit more focused on on sport and making a career out of sport is becoming a bit more realistic. Yeah, um, <clears throat> we do have professional athletes. There aren't many, um, and most of them are in football and water polo. Um, but we do have a couple of athletes who are able to commit full time. Um, the the government has some good scholarships, um, both for athletes who want to go and compete and study and train abroad and for athletes who want to stay here and just commit to their swimming or to their sport. Um, 
So the investments there were getting better, lots of room for improvement, but I think every country has lots of room, can say they have, they have a lot of room for improvement. So uh-huh. um, we're, we're growing and I'm quite hopeful about how, how things look. Um, I do think that there are some sports that maybe ha- we have a bit more of a chance of success at an international level. Um, yeah. I don't think swimming is necessarily the, our strongest sport because of how, I mean, the Maltese are tend, to be, tend to be built a bit smaller and stockier than our European neighbours. Um, so it's not necessarily the best sport for us, but I do think that nationally we can start thinking about success internationally. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the last question I've got for you is, of course, we, you've just come back from Tokyo and all that, and what does Paris women, or does Malta women as well, Paris women, um, look like for Paris 2024? That's only three years away now, to be fair, so it's not... It is, it's, it's quite, a short, quite a short cycle, um, and when you think about it, three years just fly by so, so quickly. I mean, even this extra year from the original Tokyo to 2021 Tokyo was flew by, with COVID and everything. So uh-huh. um, what, do, what do things look like for, for Paris? So, so far we've, okay, let me go a little bit, take it back a step. So we, at the Paralympics, we've, we've actually got a couple of medals at the Paralympic Games, as opposed to the Olympic Games, which were back in the eighties. Um, after we won those medals, there was a very big gap. Um, with where nobody went to the Paralympic Games, and we went back in 2008, um, so Beijing. Um, we had one athlete in Beijing, one swimmer in London, and one swimmer in Rio, and it's always been wildcard entries. One athlete says, listen, I'm here, I'm training, so basically sorts everything themselves. Last couple of Paralympic Games, parents would go, the swimmer's parents and coach would go up as head of delegation and, and coach, so it's been... Um, very, very limited, very small teams. And it was the athlete doing literally everything themselves. Um, so now with the Paralympic Committee, we're able to let the athletes focus on what they should be focusing on and, and start growing the sport. Um, goal for, in Tokyo, we, we got two, two athletes up, a runner and a swimmer. The goal as a country for Paris is to take up an even bigger team, hopefully three, obviously four or five would be better. But I think aiming for two or three athletes is a very realistic goal. We're pretty much, I mean, as long as we have a male and a female athlete competing, we're going to, we can have two athletes. But the goal is obviously to get a qualifier, um, which would be great. So right now, as a committee, we are discussing what our options are, what our best chances of qualifying are. Um, I, I think... Having a, uh, a qualifier and later on a medal at the Paralympic Games is more of a realistic goal for the country than the Olympic Games. I do think we have the potential to, to get there in maybe Brisbane, maybe 2036, wherever that will be. Um, we just need to start building, like I said, from build up, get focus on a few individuals who we see potential in, who are still very young, and guide them up the whole, the whole structure until they get to that level. Um, so I'm very positive about how things look for Paris and beyond. Um, my goal for Paris Swimming is to grow the numbers. I'd love to 
this season we had two swimmers competing nationally. Um, I'd like that to go up to five by next season. Um, we have a couple of swimmers who are looking to get classified now and then kind of getting into the competitive scene. Um, and we have a, a pretty good group of young swimmers, eight and under. So those will look to start competing in obviously a couple of years time. Um, and I want that pool to grow. Uh, we have messages coming in from parents with interest very frequently. I think I had two messages this week from new athletes who want to, to join. So the more athletes we can get in, the better. Um, I want to see, like I said, I want to see all the clubs in Malta involved in, in para swimming, getting, even if it's one athlete, but just getting involved in it, growing it. And we're looking to have our national record set up because para swimming doesn't have national records yet since it's always been such a small pool of athletes which I think having them in place will push athletes to do even better. Because yeah, at least they're not just doing PBs. There's, those PBs would be national records, and eventually they'll have other people's records to break. Um, it's like, like we said with this, this one swimmer who, who qualified for the Olympics, you set a standard and then everyone else will have a standard to, to beat. Whereas yeah. right now, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's everyone just doing their own thing. Yeah, so, so we want to get yeah. a we want to get the proper structure in place. We want clubs. We want teams competing. We want a national record. We want a proper squad. When it comes to international competitions, we don't want it to be, okay, it's Edward and Clive are competing. So Edward and Clive are going to European championships or to world championships. We want there to be, okay, who is our top swimmer? Who is going to qualify? Who is the strongest one and going to represent us best at these games? Same as any other country would do. We'd want, we just want to build up the proper structures that our swimmers get, our swimmers and athletes, and make the most out of their their decision to get into sport. Yeah, no. Same strides. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And having had the experience to represent my country at at an international level, I think it's something that every athlete wants to do and should be given the, the opportunity to try to do. Um, obviously, you cannot guarantee it to everyone, but you need to build up a structure where they are given the opportunity to push themselves to reach that level and to be able to make it there and, and just wear that Malta shirt at, at the highest level that they can get to. No, I think that's the main thing. It's just being able to have that opportunity to do that. And yes. I think everyone should have should have the ability to do that. I don't think anyone yeah. should not have the ability to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much for coming on. It's actually been a real good chat. It's been nice catching up as well. It's been a while since we've been. Yeah, it's nice. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, do you want to um, plug any social media or anything like that? Um, Exiles or um, sure. So um, my um, my main social media is Instagram. That's Edward CD twenty four. Um, Exiles the social media is not the strongest, but we're on Facebook. Um, you need to look up Exiles SC. Um, definitely give a follow to the Paralympic Committee. We're on Facebook and Instagram. That's Malta Paralympic Committee and Paralympics Malta on, on Instagram. Yeah, maybe find out who our athletes are, give them a follow. Any, any support is, uh, for our athletes is, is appreciated. 
no definitely but yeah thanks very much remember guys if you want to uh listen to more of the conversation if it's that you can uh, follow the love swimming facebook group and join in all the conversations that happen daily um yeah and remember we can listen to this podcast on any uh platform spotify google playlist blah, blah, bits like that so yeah once again thanks very much for coming on and uh yeah thank you thank you very much Thank you.